Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Before we get started the message, um, we were singing, um, I don't know what song we were singing actually, and, and whatever. We were somewhere in worship, and, uh, and the Lord brought me to the verse, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it falls to the ground and dies, then it can bear much fruit. And, uh, and I felt real specifically for a few people, and a couple of them I think he actually showed me, I'm going to talk to them afterwards, but, um, but I think there's probably more than just those that... That it's just an encouragement from the Lord that the, thing that, 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 that the thing that you've been carrying in your heart or the dream that you've had, actually, that felt specifically like it was dreams that you had over your life that you feel like they're dying right now. It's just an encouragement to him that it's actually not dying, that the only way that that seed that you've been carrying around could actually produce life and produce fruit was for you to lay it down and let that thing die so that it could spring up and actually bear much fruit. So be encouraged in this season. If you feel like a dream, specifically, if you feel like a dream you've carried in your heart is dying, if it's not, you know, and if, like, if you're walking away from God and, and, and turning your back on Him and, you know, living in sin and, and you feel like things are dying because that they are, um, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about if you're following after Him, you're chasing after God, you're walking in step with His Spirit, but you just feel like even as you're doing that, you feel like this dream that you've carried in your heart or over your life specifically is dying in the process. Just be encouraged that it's actually not dying, that it's, it is dying, but it's so that it can actually bear much fruit. And, uh, and in time, if we do not grow weary, we will in due time reap a harvest. And so just, just realize that and be encouraged with that. And don't, uh, don't let that become something that hangs you up or, or something that causes grief. There's to be no grief during that season of what's dying. Because we're not focused on the fact that the seed had to fall to the ground and die. We're focused on the fact that he promised that if it did, it would actually bring forth much fruit. It would spring to life. So, so you take that seed and you bury it in the ground and you don't have a, a grief funeral. You have an expectation of what's going to happen when it pokes back up out of the ground and the fruit that it bears. And so if you're in that season right now, I just want to pray over you that, God, I pray right now that, that there would be no grief in this season as the seeds that we've carried, God, the seed that you've placed inside us, God, even dreams that you've given us, God, as we take those and just lay them down and let them die, God, that we don't stand around grieving what's lost, we stand around excited and expectant for what's to come because of the promise in your word, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. See, there's always hope. If you're following after him, if you're following the Lord, if you're, if you're walking after him and you're walking in his ways, there's always hope. We are the last people on earth that should ever find ourselves hopeless. In fact, there is only one who's hopeless. It's the enemy. He is absolutely without hope because he's absolutely without redemption. His fate is sealed. His destiny is determined. It was predetermined a long time ago. And so he has no hope. And so what he would like to do is reproduce himself inside of you and bring you to a place where you have no hope. And a, and a lot of people, he does this to us by things that happened to us when we're younger, uh, things that were done to us that we didn't choose. 
A lot of times, you know, things happen in our lives, and, and we didn't choose them. And, it, and, it, and, and this is not to be insensitive to those things. Those things are horrible, and it grieves the heart of the Father that people would do things like that to people who are young, that would prey on the innocent, and that would prey on young people. But I want to say this. There's a trap inside of every single offense that comes, and it's that you'll actually take the bait and allow that seed to reproduce itself inside of you, and that you'll become the product of what was done to you more than you are the product of what Jesus did for you. And I just want to challenge you, never get in a place where you feel hopeless and never, especially because of things that were done to you by other people. Listen, that was nothing to do with you. That is no more a reflection of who you are than, than that person's character. It showed what was in their heart. But the way that we respond and live our lives from that time forward shows what's in our heart. We can't choose when these things come. You know, it'd be nice if we could. We'd be like, okay... God, I know I'm going to have to go through a really hard time and somebody's going to do something awful to me. I would love for that to be when I'm about 27. Because when I'm 27, I'll be capable to deal with that. I'll be in a place where I'm mature enough to understand that this really has nothing to do with me, that this is a reflection of what's going on in their heart. So God, I know that that has to come at some point, but we don't get to choose that. But what we do get to choose is how we respond whenever it comes. And the truth of the matter is, is now you know things that you didn't know then. So maybe the way that you responded back then was the best you knew how. But now that the new has come, you can't put old, uh, uh, new wine in an old wineskin. You can't carry joy and hope inside of a, a wineskin that's been filled with anger, bitterness, and despair. You have to actually get a whole new wineskin, a whole new way of thinking. That's what he wants to make out of you. That's why everything becomes new and all things pass away. Why? Because he has no interest in trying to fix up the old wineskin to contain the new wine. He wants everything, he has everything to do with making you a new wineskin where you're actually capable of carrying and containing the new wine. And so even if you have lived your whole life responding and thinking, even the thoughts that we think about, you know, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, excellent, true, worthy of praise, of good report, meditate on these things. What's Paul saying? Listen, if you can't make it through that filter with the thoughts that you're meditating on, with the things you're thinking on, and I promise you, you cannot sit and think about what was done to you over and over and over again and it make it through that filter. Maybe it's true. You know, and, be, and, and, and if Paul just stopped there and said, whatsoever things are true, meditate on those things, okay, then you, then you have permission to do that. The problem is, is that the first, that's just the first qualifier of many. That's like this huge, wide filter that a lot of stuff makes it through. But as you see, like when we get to the bottom, the, the gospel and what Paul wants us to be meditating on, what the word says to meditate on is so laser focused, so pointed It makes it through that huge, wide filter. Whatsoever things are true. Okay, but then it comes to whatsoever things are good, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, of good report. In other words, so that was true, but was it good? It was good. Was it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? And here's the truth. Something worthy of praise can come from those situations, but it's not the story of what was done to you. 
The thing that's excellent and worthy of praise that can come from those situations is what the Father did in you and for you and through you in spite of what was done to you. And that's the thing that he wants you actually meditating on and that's the thing that should come out of your mouth. Let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing. Why? The things I'm thinking about are the things that are going to come out of my mouth. And if what I'm meditating on was what was done to me, then when I talk to people, I'm always going to keep regurgitating what was done to me. That's not excellent, worthy of praise. It's none of those things. That doesn't mean that that thing just, you act like it never happened. It's actually better than that. You act like because it happened, you got to experience a part of the Father you never could have experienced apart from that, and now you have something to share with people because they feel hopeless because they don't carry the truth that you do. I'm telling you, if you can learn to see it like that, not that you're thankful for what happened. Listen, it's, it, it's horrible that it did, but I'm telling you this, there's something good, excellent, and worthy of praise he wants to bring out of it. And I promise you the story of what happened is the least of that. The story of, what, of who you became in him and, and what he did in your heart and, and how he showed you that, that no matter what people did, it was nothing was greater than what Jesus did for me. And how I became so focused on him, I became so focused on Jesus that I actually began to look at the people who had done those things with the same compassion and pity as, the, as Jesus looked at the people who did the things to him that they did because he actually gave me the heart that he has. Remember he said, you know, that we have, this, you know, people like to talk about that, well, the heart of man is wicked and deceitful and who can know it? And, you know, we quote that verse all the time and we forget that there's actually more that talks about men's heart. And then when the prophets are talking about this stuff a little bit later, he says, and in that day, he's talking about the coming of the Lord, that the, 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 the ability that we have to be born again, the coming of a Savior who we know Jesus already came. The Savior has come. The ability to be saved already is here. We're not being saved at his second coming. We are actually already saved. When we believed in him, this is eternal life that they would know you, God, and believe in in Jesus Christ, the son you sent, that salvation is actually, it says those who confess with with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. We're already saved. We've been sozoed, saved, healed, delivered because of the work of Jesus on the cross and because we've accepted that, we've made him our Lord and we've received what he died for us to receive, but now I forgot what I was gonna say. I can't even remember now. Gosh. Oh, whatever. But anyways. Oh, gosh. Yes, yes. So, so he's talking and he's, thank you. See, it, you were paying more attention than I was. <laughs> but later he says, and in that day I will take their heart of stone. I'll take that heart from them and I'll give them a heart of flesh. And I'll write my law upon their heart and their heart will be to know me. Don't settle for a wicked, deceitful heart when he's offering that there's a way that you can actually receive a new heart from him, a heart of flesh that no longer has wickedness and deceitfulness written on it. It actually has his word written upon it, his law written upon it, and that it's actually to know him, not to deceive others. We're either living in one place or the other. We either have a heart that is deceiving us and deceiving others, or we have a heart that is to know him with his law written upon it. And the truth of the matter is, is we get to choose because he set up before you this day a choice. Today's the day of salvation. What is salvation? It's the day that everything old becomes new, that all things pass away, and behold, everything becomes new, that an old wineskin carrying around a bunch of bitter old wine gets exchanged for a new wineskin with new sweet wine filled with what he wants us to be filled with. And you can't mix them. It's one or the other. Anyways, all that to say, somebody here, don't see this as a season of things dying and walk away without the rest of the promise. 
We, we really do ourselves an injustice when we do that with the Word. You can do that with a lot of verses. You can read half of it, you know, and, 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 or you can just see half of it and walk away. And the, the, what you walk away with is so different than the intent of what was written. You know, like when he talks in, 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 in the verse that, that, that is used to talk about the depravity of man, it says, for we know that by one man's sin, Adam, sin entered all men. You know, and so that is true. But then there's the next part that says, even so, likewise, by the obedience of one man, Christ, were the many made righteous. It says the many became sinners, then the many became righteous. The acts of Adam, the first Adam, made the many sinners. The obedience of the second Adam, Jesus, the many were made righteous. And you could focus on one half But if you're going to, focus on the half that's the present reality of what you live in if you're born again, which is that you were made righteous by the obedience of Christ. That other stuff is true. But it's not where we're meant to stay. The problem is, is if we stay there, we miss out on so much of what the Word has. If it sounds hopeless, keep reading. Now that's a good general word because a lot of the places that we find breaks in Scriptures... You know, like in Paul's letters, there were no like breaks. He didn't say, okay, I'm finished that thought and I'm going to start another thought now. I'd like you to put a chapter here, put a big space between the pages so that when people are reading, they will stop reading there and not continue reading on the next thing. It's all one continuous letter. It's all meant, you're not supposed to read one part and leave it alone without the other. There's thoughts within the letter that you can read a complete thought structure, but make sure you don't use a chapter to determine that for you. Make sure that if it seems hopeless that you keep reading because there's always hope. Always. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That was free. Now you get what you tithed for. Um, I'm just kidding. You tithe. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Anyone here very first time coming to Outreach Church? This is your very first time? Yeah, awesome. We're so thankful that you're here. We really are. I know. Everyone's opened their Bibles, but I'll clap. Hey, listen, you're, you've, you've found yourself this morning in a, a group of people who really do see ourselves as a family of people that really love God. And, you know, like, I know sometimes when people first come here, like even during worship sometimes, it could maybe be different or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is, is that it doesn't make you wrong if you don't worship the way some of the people worship. But it doesn't make them wrong to worship the way that they do either. Right. And so I just want us to understand this as we move forward as a family that, you know, we don't look around and decide who's worshiping by what people are doing. That we actually are so busy worshiping Him that we're not really paying attention to what everybody else is doing because we're not here to inspect other people's worship. We're here to worship the King. And so, like, if the guy next to you is sitting down in his seat with tears in his eyes and you can't see that and you think he's just sitting there and you're thinking, God, how could he not be worshiping you right now? Maybe he is and maybe you're not worshiping because you're thinking about him. I'm just saying, you know, you could get so caught up in checking out why other people aren't doing the thing that you think everyone should be doing that you're the one actually not doing the thing you think everyone should be doing. Be careful. Huh? I'm serious. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter... I promise we're going to get to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. This is a new thought. So we could start here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I just want to stop there for a second and tell you, like, Part of the, 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 what God is birthing is, if you weren't here last week, we, we, we had an announcement that, that we, there had been something that me and my wife had been praying into. It was offered to us by another church of us maybe joining together churches with them. And, and it would have been awesome. And there's so many things about it that were exciting. But, but there was also some things that we were like, oh, man, we were just torn. We didn't have a yes. We didn't have a no. So we just kept praying into it. And we finally both heard separately. There was one thing that we prayed. Listen, if, you, if you're married in here, you can never again have a disagreement about what God is saying and both be right. Because the two are no longer two, but one flesh. Don't you know that from the beginning he said, right, that the two are no longer two, but one flesh, meaning what? God can only speak to you guys both individually, at, I mean, uh, separately as an individual. So if we have a disagreement about what God's saying, one of us isn't hearing him clearly. It's just the truth. He can't speak two things to the same person and be opposite of each other. It just will never happen. It's just a good principle for your marriage just to say, you know, God, uh, I I know that you've called me to, you know, in in my case, you know, I I know that you said that I'm, I'm supposed to lead my family and I want to lead my family, but I also know that you've put your spirit inside of Patty and that when you speak to us, you speak to us as as an individual and then we can both hear your voice and if we have disagreement on this maybe i'm right maybe she's right but how about like let's not move forward until we both have an agreement that we've heard the voice of god on this that we both know what god is speaking and so we were in this place and that was one of our prayers was like god do not tell one of us to tell the other we both want to hear you and so uh, together, we both heard uh, on the same, in, within the same 24 hours, we both just had this knowing that what, what God was calling us to. And since then, God's just been showing us so many things and just exciting us towards so many things that he has through this house and, 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 and things that we, that we do well and things that we don't do well that we can do better and just areas where we've maybe be, where we've missed things and, and we just haven't seen things in people and in giftings and individuals and systems and stuff he wants to put in place, not to change what we have, but so that we steward what we have as more people come so that we don't lose what we have. Never with the goal of trying to be this huge church. That's not the point. We want to be people who go after the Lord and love Him with all of our hearts. But if that's contagious and more people want to come and more people because of the Jesus in you are attracted and want to be where you, where, at the church that you go to or part of the family that you're part of, that's awesome too. We just want to make sure that in the process we don't lose what we have that we love because it really is special to Him. But there are some things we can do to make sure that, that even as we do, you know, right now we need a new building. I believe that's coming, but I don't believe it's going to come until we have the people in place and the things in place to make sure that when we fill a new building up, we don't lose what we have in this building being filled. Whatever that looks like. And we're not, we don't have like a number goal of like, hey, we're going to, you know, push for this number or any of that kind of stuff. I have no, I have no problem with people that have that. We just don't. What we really want to do is make sure, God, we want to make sure that every single person that you entrust to our leadership at this church receives everything that you have for them and becomes everything you dreamed them being when you knit them together in their mother's womb. They become the full expression of your heart on this earth and they reach the most amount of people with the gospel of Jesus. That's our goal. And so, um, 
So anyways, we, 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 one of the things that is really so important to us um, is that everybody understands the value of their life and the importance of their place in what God's doing, both in their, in their life out there and in their life in the church family. And this, this verse right here is so, so awesome because it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one. It means every single one of us, he gives the manifestation of the Spirit. It means, in other words, there's evidence in my life there's something in me that I can't explain. There's something in me that is beyond my ability. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God living inside of me, and it's in me for the good of everybody around me. It's not in me so I build my platform. It's not in me so that I build my kingdom so I make a name for myself. Jesus made himself of no reputation. People gave him a name. People put a title over his head. He never did. He said, here's Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus never once told them to put a title above his head. But sometimes people see, and that's okay. It just wasn't his goal, and it's not what he sought. And so, um, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. These two verses right here, I just want to talk about real quick, because sometimes they trip people up. Verse 9 says, to another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And so some people have taken that to mean like, well, you know, especially the healing one. You don't hear many people say, well, well they just, you know, there's people who have faith and there's people who don't. But you will hear people say, well, I guess like, you know, because I've prayed for the sick and I haven't seen them heal. I, I just don't have the gift of healing. And they'll say, you know, well, someone else has the gift of healing. The point is not, that, that's not what he's talking about here. Because the Bible says that to each of us is given the measure of, a measure of faith. Each of us is given a measure of faith. In other words, this is not exclusive of the rest of the Bible. We have to take the whole counsel of Scripture when we're reading a verse. And so it's not to say that some people get faith and some people don't. Everybody has a measure of faith. But the gift of faith is, you ever been around people or in an instance where you yourself just had this heightened faith where it was like, even though what you were looking at made no sense, you just knew that you knew that you knew and you weren't putting it on and trying to work it up. It was like you were gritting your teeth and clenching your fists and trying to believe something it was as effortless as getting up and breathing you just knew like you've been in a situation maybe where there was a bad report for somebody or or somebody you know maybe in an accident or or who knows what it is right like or or you get this this financial news or or you just have a friend who's dealing with this crushing thing and yet when you look at it you can empathize with them but you cannot even get yourself to go to a place of expressing the despair and hopelessness they have because there's not even a doubt in your mind of what the outcome is and you didn't work it up you didn't have to sit around chanting Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. I'm not saying it's bad to recite Scripture, but I am saying that sometimes we're trying to convince ourselves of something rather than actually believing something. And so, so where no one would say that about faith, some people will say that about healing. They'll say, well, well, I just don't have the gift of healing. So listen, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, Right? teaching them to obey all the commands which I've given you. That's at the end of Mark. Last thing he says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the things I commanded him. What was, 
some of the very last commands he gave them right before that verse where he said to go teach other people to obey the commands I've given you. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. So if those are commands given, I know it's, that's not my doctrine. That's not like, that's, that's about as close to pure theology as you can get because it came straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He said, go and do these things. He commanded them to do them. And then he said, go make disciples, go make people who follow and do the things that I taught you and commanded you to do. So for us to skip the very last commands he gave and say those were only for the people he was talking to in that very instance that were alive that time and that was for nobody else would make very little sense. It makes the least amount of sense that if we're going to exclude anything as being not something that was supposed to be passed on to other people, that we would use the things he said right before that. It just doesn't even make sense. You know, it's like if I came to you and said, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you a few things about painting. Okay, I am going to teach you how to cut in a corner. I'm going to teach you how to roll and I'm going to teach you the proper way to paint trim. And and then when 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 and I want and, and I'm going to show you how to do it and model it for you. Okay, now that you've done it, now I'm telling you, go and 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 paint the wall and paint the trim and cut in the corners and find some people that you can teach to do the very things that I taught you to do. But I don't mean the things that I just got done talking about. Not those things. It doesn't even make sense. Like we wouldn't believe that in any other context, but somehow when it comes to spiritual gifts, we write them off and say, well, he was only meaning that for the people he was speaking directly to that day. No, he was not. And if you can find a scripture that shows that, please show me it. I've read. I haven't seen them. I've studied. I haven't found them. Anyways. So don't get tripped up on that thing where it says the gift of faith and the gift, uh, um, gift of healing um, because just because you don't have the gift of it in a moment doesn't mean that you can't actually walk in it because you're a believer of Jesus and because the Spirit of God lives in you. Like, be, just because you don't have a gift of faith in a moment where your faith is just to supernatural levels doesn't mean that you don't walk by faith in Jesus Christ all the time. And so, all right. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing of spirits, but to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. God, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You we have this, this amazing written record of, of You speaking, and of You living and walking, and, and, and who You are, and who You say that we are. I ask today, Holy Spirit, that as I speak, you would just open my mouth and you would speak the words that you'd have us hear, that, that what I say would be straight from your heart, God. I pray that our ears would be open to hear, God, that the cobwebs of religion, the cobwebs of the opinion of man, would be completely blown aside and completely cleansed by the water of your word. I ask that our, our ears would be open to hear, that our minds, that we could understand, God, that you said that that who could know the things of the Lord, but we have the mind of Christ. And I thank you that as we hear today, as we think, it's with the wisdom that you give that comes from above. And, and that our hearts would be open to receive these things. That, that we would not just be hearers, but we would be hearers and doers. That it would actually take root in our heart, God, that the seed of your word would reproduce fruit in our lives. That a world that doesn't know you would taste and see that you're good because of the fruit of our lives. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so the first thing I, I, I want to I just, we're, we're, we're starting a big, long series. This is going to be a long teaching because I really want to talk a lot about a lot of things, and we're going to have times for question and answer and stuff like that as we go through some of these things. Um, but the, the, the first thing I want to say is that Paul's writing this letter to a church that's operating in spiritual gifts. When he says, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts, he wasn't saying like, hey guys, uh, you don't know about these things, so I'm going to teach you so that you know about them. He was actually saying like, guys, you guys are operating them. Because he, he talks in, in his letter to them, he talks about the operation of gifts and order in the service and all that kind of stuff. So it's not as if he's saying you don't know about these things. He's saying there's some things about these things that you don't know that I, want you to be un- I don't want you to be unaware of. And so he's writing this to a church that, that is operating in the gifts and and. And he says, like, there's some things I don't want you to be unaware about, and I'm going to teach you about these things. Then he starts talking about the fact that they're gifts. And, and I think that we should just stop right there just for a second and just recalibrate whatever we thought and remember. These are gifts. They're not weapons for fighting. They're not divisive, destructive. They're, they're not weird Sometimes the way things manifest may seem a little strange, but only because our definition of weird is so different than his definition of weird. Think about it. How are we defining weird? Are we defining weird by our standards or are we defining weird by his standards? Because he didn't think it was weird for him to spit on the ground, make mud, put in a blind guy's eyes and his eyes to be open. He didn't think it was weird for a donkey to talk to somebody. And the the thing I want to say about that stuff is, listen... When I say those things, like a donkey speaking or Jesus, because we've heard them, because we have a grid for them, they don't seem as weird to us as maybe they should or they would if we hadn't already heard of them. So don't be surprised when the first time you hear of something that God's doing, if it seems weird. But remember, we want his definition of weird, not ours. And, and he didn't think any of those things were weird. He didn't think it was strange for him to speak and the sun to come forth from his mouth. When he said light be, he didn't think it was weird at all to tell the oceans that's where you stop and that's where you start. He didn't think it was weird at all to keep the sun in the sky for 12 hours longer than it was supposed to be because the army of Israel was destroying its enemy. He didn't think it was weird at all to tell people to fill up a a vat of water and pour it into another vat and it become wine and, and be the best wine that anyone had ever tasted. None of that stuff was weird to him. Every bit of that was just him being who he is. So let's make sure that our definition of weird lines up more with his than our own. Otherwise, things will seem a little strange. And so, but they're gifts. They're good things. And, and the other thing I want to say about this is that when Paul's writing this stuff, he's not like segmenting this the way your Bible does. Like there's no chapter 12, 13, and 14 in his letter. They would have never stopped reading at the end of chapter 12 without going into 13. And they would have never stopped reading 13 without going into 14 because it's a continuous thought. There may have been times where they read parts of his letters, you know, like when he was talking about church discipline. If they were facing something and they needed wisdom on church discipline, they may not have read the whole letter, but they would have read the entire part where he talks about how to deal with, with things within the body of Christ. Because they understood it was, a, it was a whole thought, and they wanted to get the whole counsel of what he was saying before they went and, and actually digested it and made their decisions. So... When you read chapter 12, it's good to read chapter 13, and when you read chapter 13, it's good to read chapter 14. 
Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of that um, right now. And, and this is what this letter, this part of the letter would sound like. I'm going to read from chapter 12 through 13 and into verse 14. Just start in verse 14 because that's, that's where I want to talk from. But, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. He's kind of wrapping up, you know, he started talking about that, then he talks about some other things in the middle, and then he starts, he ends with this. You, know, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations. It's funny, no one ever thinks the gift of administration's gone. I've just never seen someone walk into an office where they have an, someone who has administrative skills. You ever been around someone that has a gift of administration? Like they can look at something and they can know right away, okay, we need to do this, 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 this. This is the order. This is, it's a gift. But I've never heard anybody go to them and be like, hey, um, you know, <clears throat> I just passed away with the disciples. So <laughs> I'd appreciate it if you'd stop being quite so administrative. And another thing, just, you know, if you want to do that in your own private life, that's fine. But I'm just telling you right now, around here in this church, we don't administrate. Okay? Just the truth. Like, read this stuff at face value. Don't read it with a bend of saying, like, I'm going to try to figure out how I can eliminate something that I don't want to be possible or that I don't want to be true or that, that I haven't experienced, so I want to find a way that anybody that did experience it shouldn't have. Because rather than pressing in for more, I would rather set the bar where I am, rather than understand the bar was set where Jesus is. I want my, me to be the standard, so I'm going to read the Bible with me being the standard, and I'm going to use my life and my experience to determine what is true and what's not, rather than saying I'm going to let the Bible tell me what has been true about my life and what hasn't. And so, so the gift, he says, uh, helps. I couldn't help that when I read that. I, I, just, I was like, man, that's funny. I just have never, you know... It never heard someone come up to somebody at church that was being a little too administrative. <laughs> never had a board meeting to figure out what we're going to do about that guy that keeps wanting to be administrative in church. Never sat him down and had a talk with him. Hey, uh, <clears throat> look, I, you know, I know the church you went to before probably was real administrative. <laughs> it sounds so weird when we take the word administrative and put it in there, but that's stuff's been said about some of the other gifts that are listed right before and right after that one. You know, and I, I don't really have a problem if you want to do that, you know, alone. But as far as the people here at our church, and as far as the people that I'm called the pastor, I would be more comfortable if you just wouldn't be quite so administrative. That's so strange, right? Yeah, helps. Like... The gift of, of, of helping. <laughs> like, hey, uh, you know. Look, you want to be that helpful? You go next door to the church of God. They believe in help. <laughs> and no one said that. Come on. I, we're laughing because it's true. If we just read it at face value, rather than trying to make it say something that it doesn't, we would probably have a lot less confusion amongst the body. Amen. Helps, ministrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? And the answer to these questions is no, by title. 
right? Because we know in James it says, let not many of you supposed to be teachers, for you know that they will be held to a higher standard. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, don't everybody think that you hold the title of teacher, but that doesn't mean that you won't operate as a teacher at some point. So we, we, that's another thing we sometimes get hung up on is that, you know, well, 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 um, I, I'm not, uh, if I prophesy, then does that mean I'm a prophet? And I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say that I'm a prophet, so I'm certainly not going to prophesy. Listen, it would be so silly if God gave you a word to speak and then you put the title prophet on yourself. It'd be like if you were hanging out with your kid, they cut themselves, you put a Band-Aid on, and then went around putting doctor on your business card. <laughs> Seriously, think about it. Like, so you acted in the capacity of a doctor in that instance... But that doesn't make you a doctor. Well, I'm actually Dr. Roy Geesey. MD. Really? Oh, yeah. Put a Band-Aid on my kid two weeks ago. Can't even see the scar. I th- is, see, we laugh about these things when we take them out of the context of the thing that has been made so weird. But it's not that hard to understand. It really isn't. This like says, are not all teachers? No, they're not. But I promise if you're a parent, you will act as a teacher at some point in your life. But if someone says, so what do you do for a living? You don't say, well, I'm a teacher. If you stay at home with your child, you say, I stay at home and raise my kids, which is an amazing profession, but it doesn't make you a teacher. But you may act as a teacher. In fact, if you're a mom or a, or, or a dad, you will be a doctor, a teacher, a psychiatrist, a life coach, uh, a, a, a sports coach, an administrator. Uh, you will be a nutrition expert. You will be a nutritionist. You'll be all those things. But if someone said, hey, what do you what do? You do? Or if you were making a business card and you were going to say, like, put on there what you did, you probably wouldn't write all those things. It's the same thing with if I prophesy, does that mean I'm a prophet? Maybe. Only if God says so. Because not everyone is. But the same man who wrote this, the same man who said, not all are prophets, also said to desire that you would prophesy. Moses, who was a prophet, said, I would that all of God's people would prophesy. That's the Old Testament. Moses had this desire. What was he saying? I wish everybody could hear God's voice and speak what the Father's saying. It's just as simple as that. That's all he was saying. I wish that everybody could preach the gospel. And everybody can. Every single person in here is equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if someone said, so what do you do? You wouldn't look at them and say, well, I'm a preacher. You may preach. This doesn't make you a preacher, as we would call it, a title. Or you may pastor people. I promise if you're a parent, I don't care who it is. It does not matter, parent or not. Single uh, as, as they come. You could be as single as Dylan. Hey, I say it because I can't believe the dude's still single. Like, handsome, good-looking guy that loves God. They're not, like, standing on every corner. Anyways. But you could be as single as Dylan. Is that enough, Dylan? One more? <laughs> for all the podcast women out there, they're looking for a, a good-looking man of God. You can look him up on Facebook. It's Dylan Standridge, Greenville, South Carolina. Now, but listen, 
You could be, you could have no children, you could have no spouse. I promise you're pastoring people at some point in your life. You're going to lead people. You're going to care for people. You're going to see people who don't know the Father and like a shepherd would when he sees a sheep that's lost, you're going to go over and try to bring them into the fold and pastor them. That doesn't make you a pastor. Not with the, with the title pastor as far as being a, an office position that you're a gift to the body of Christ in that role. So let's just get away, get rid of that whole like, you know, making it weird like, well, if I pro- no, if you teach it doesn't make you a teacher. If you pastor it doesn't make you a pastor. If you prophesy it doesn't make you a prophet. We understand that? Yeah. yeah? Is that clear enough? I don't know how much more clearly I can make it, but um And the other thing I will say too is is uh if 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 you feel like maybe, you know, God's called you to to hold one of these offices in the, you know, in the church. Other people will see it. I wouldn't go get a business card made and tell people that's what you are. I mean, you know, you can if you want to, but I would probably just serve God and and other people around you will see who you are and will come to you. And it'll be obvious to everybody. And it'll be obvious to you. Um, Okay. All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own, is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffer. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now hope, faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Do you see how when you don't segment it, it actually is a continuous thought. And it actually, don't, yeah, don't worry about that. that. We all did that same exact thing. I promise you. Um, we just love that you guys have a little child like that that you're raising up in the fear and the love of the Lord. And that that child's going to be someone who actually speaks the truth that you guys are speaking into their life to a generation. We're excited about that. Um, but when you read that all together like that, you see how it doesn't seem to be so opposed to each other as when you segment it and say, well, he talks about spiritual gifts, but then he says, I'll show you a more excellent way and talks about love. Well, he does, but then he goes right back into earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. They're not opposed to each other. So what is he doing? He's saying, listen, there's things about spiritual gifts I don't want you to be unaware about and I want to teach you about, but there's something you have to know. 
And yet, even though when you know that, I want you to still pursue and desire spiritual gifts. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, it's awesome that these things are happening in the congregation, and I want them to happen, and they should happen in the congregation, but there's a context for them that's greater than them happening by themselves, and that's this. The most excellent way is that when you are, and as you are pursuing these gifts, that you actually fall deeper and deeper in love. He says, because without love... It's like a clanging cymbal. This is the problem that we have, I, think, I believe, so much in the church, why so many people have so many problems with spiritual gifts. Why you can start talking about spiritual gifts and people are more uncomfortable than when you talk about money. Like money's like the, do they just want your money? No, don't, don't just want your money. We want your heart. Your money's included in that. If we get your heart, we'll have your money too. <laughs> I'm saying him. He's the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Let's not forget that. But, you know, you talk about money and people get uncomfortable. You talk about spiritual gifts and people get downright angry sometimes. Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and and know all mysteries and have all knowledge but have not love, isn't it funny that one of the gifts that gets attacked so much is the one that Paul says leads to the understanding of mysteries. I wonder why it's so attacked. I wonder who would want it silenced. I wonder whose idea it is to make sure that it stops and that people are have Scripture twisted and turned. If, if, you got, if you get hung up on the when the perfect comes thing, we did, a pot, we did a message about three weeks ago on that very, we took that whole subject, I'm not going to go over it again, uh, and broke it down really, really, really clearly. I was amazed at the clarity that God gave me as we were going through that. So if you didn't, weren't here for that message and you get hung up on that, go back and listen to it because I promise you, I've never heard some of the stuff that was in there ever preached, especially the whole faith, hope, and love thing. Um, but, but anyway, so Paul says, I don't care if you have a great gift, if you don't love, it's like a clanging symbol. What happens when someone just starts clanging? See, in the context of, of our worship service, when Bob is, I mean, beating his symbol like a rented mule, just (laughs) beating it. I tell him that all the time. I go back there and I give him a fist bump before service starts and I say, beat those things, Bob. I do. Um, but when he's back there, just in the course of when it's when it's in the right context, nobody's out here going, "Oh my gosh," and covering their ears or running out of the room. Well, there may be a few people. If you're one of those, we have earplugs available in the back. I, I mean that seriously. I'm not trying to be funny. We do because some people are like, "Oh, it's going to hurt my ears." You know, it's not that long. It's it's not that high decibels. But anyways, if but if Bob was to just right now start going. Everyone in here would cover their ears or leave the room because it's out of context. Well, it's the same thing with a spiritual gift that's not in the context of love. Because if somebody has a gifting, but they're not actually loving the people, then they're just using, and they just want to use this gift to show it off or to impress people or to set someone straight. You know, or to show everybody how spiritual they are, in that context, people are going to cover their ears or they're going to run out of the room or both. 
And so many people have abused and abused spiritual giftings outside of the context of true love for each other, which Jesus said was what? That I lay down my life for another. Greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. In other words, I'm not important and my gift isn't what's important. You're important. And so in this conversation, my gifting and you knowing how amazing I am has nothing to do with why I want to share this with you. It's because the Father loves you and because he values you and he entrusted me with this. And it's not even mine anyways, it's a gift. And if I love people and I use it in that context, suddenly it's not so weird. Like I just, I just, like, like just, just a, a, an, an easy one. A guy that comes here came to me and said, I feel like I have a word from God for you. And we're going to go into all this when we talk about uh, hearing from God and the revelatory gifts, word of knowledge and prophecy and word of wisdom and stuff like that. But, but just a real quick example. He came to me. It wasn't spooky. He didn't, he didn't like go dress differently and come walking up, you know, like it, he wasn't. He didn't make it weird. He didn't talk with a different voice than he normally did. He didn't do anything weird. He just walked up to me and said, hey, I feel like I have a word from you for God, uh, for you from God. I said, okay. He said, within the next cows is last August. This, this, this was a confirmation. Actually, the cool thing is, is God actually somehow erased my memory of this until we had made our decision, and then I found it. Um, and it was just great confirmation. But he came to me and said, uh, within a year from now, you'll be offered a position. A job will be offered to you. He said, and, and it's a good thing, and it's a legitimate ministry. But God says that if you will stay here, what he has for you is far greater than what you would accomplish for him if you take the job. For, you, for, me, for, for us and this church. It wasn't weird. It wasn't creepy. He just came up to me because he loved me and because he felt like God showed him this. He wanted to share that with me so that if there was a time where I was facing a decision, maybe that would help me to understand the right decision to make. You know what the cool thing about that is? Is that God used it. I, I heard it, forgot about it, wrote it in my phone, forgot all about it, and then after Patty and I had made our decision, we were talking, I said, holy smokes, so-and-so gave me a word, I think less than a year ago, and said within a year this would happen. I looked up the word, and there it was. Why, is that, why would we think that's weird? Why would we think that God doesn't still want to do things like that today? Why would we be afraid that, well, you know, then you're going to have to start adding to the Bible? Really? If God's still speaking, then you have to add to the Bible. Well, I just, real quickly, like, if, if anyone's ever thought that or anyone's ever said that to them, Paul gave instructions to the church at Corinth all about the use of prophecy, yet there's no book written by the church in Corinth. Meaning what? There are plenty of things that God wants to say through people that don't have to be put in the canon of Scripture. Plenty of things. You ever read the book of Saul? No, you haven't. There is no book of Saul. Saul never wrote a book, yet he prophesied. Remember? Samuel said, when you go, you'll see a group of prophets, and as you go, the Spirit of God will come upon you, and you'll begin to prophesy, and God will change you, and you will become a different person. And so the people saw that as Saul went up, he began to prophesy. And they said, has Saul now become one of the prophets too? Apparently, there were things that Saul prophesied that didn't have to be put into the canon of Scripture. They wouldn't oppose the canon of Scripture. They wouldn't undo anything that's written in the Word. But just because God speaks through you doesn't mean that you have to write a book with your name on it and add it to Scripture. 
That's an intimidation thing. That's a, that's a heady, like, trying to shut you up thing of like, oh, well, so you can hear from God, so you're speaking on God's behalf, well, then you should write a book of the Bible. No, you should not. That's so weird. That's so weird. That's weird. Like, that's weird. There's so many times. I mean, just think about it. There's so many times where you can read about people. You know, it says when Moses went with the 70, that they all prophesied. And when the Spirit of God came upon them, they all prophesied. It said, and the two who weren't with them, the Spirit of God came upon them, and they prophesied also. And people went to Moses and said, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so, they didn't come with us or prophesy. They never wrote books. The 70 elders never wrote books. God's always spoke through people. Always. The Bible begins with him speaking to and through a man, and it ends with him speaking to and through a man. And it doesn't stop anywhere in between, and it doesn't say anywhere in there it's going to stop besides that it will when the perfect comes. And we talked all about that already in a message. It's talking about the coming of Jesus. He has to, because he says when, when that happens, when the perfect comes, we will know fully even as we are known. I promise you, none of us will ever fully know him until we're actually with him. And then even then it says that we'll spend years discovering who he is it also says that when the perfect comes knowledge will be complete this is just real quick for anyone who wasn't here so you don't get tripped up says that when the perfect comes knowledge will be complete there is one thing that is missing from the knowledge of man that cannot be known by man until jesus comes and that is what the day that jesus comes because jesus said no man know the day nor the hour not even the son of man not even jesus so knowledge will be completed there will be nothing else to learn when Jesus returns as far as in the human capacity. So just, just believe me. And then go be, be good Bereans and, and listen to the message and take and search the scriptures and see if what I said is true. All right. So where are we at? Oh, 12, we'll just close up here and then we'll start right back up next week. This, this, I promise this is going to be a super long series. Um, it is. It's going to be really long because that was like, I thought that was one, me- one message that I had up here and I've got three more left in it still. So it'll be long and we'll break off every now and then maybe. But um, but here's the thing. Okay, so I just want to say this as, as, to close up is that we all, we all understand Scripture and hear Scripture through a lens. We do. The way that we see the Father, the way we think about the Father, determines the way we hear Him when He speaks to us. If our picture of Him is as an angry judge who's still holding our sins against us and is full of wrath, then when He speaks, we'll hear Him as an angry judge full of wrath holding our sins against us. If we see Him as uncaring and distant, then the way we'll read the Scripture and the way we'll hear Him speak will seem like He's uncaring and distant. But if we really believe that He really is a loving Father, a good Father, who loves us, who didn't send His Son to die so that He could love us, sent His Son to die because He loved us. For God so loved the world, not for so God could love the world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. He loved you before you loved Him. He loved you before you even knew He was. And if we we know Him in that way, then we'll hear Him speak to us that way. We'll see Him move in in our lives in that way. And it'll influence the way we speak and we operate 
and the way we interact with people. Because the way we hear Him for ourselves is the way we'll hear Him for other people. The way we see Him for ourselves is the way we'll see Him for other people. So I just want to say, like, we're getting ready to start talking about all these individual gifts, but the most important thing, and this is why Paul sandwiched that right in the middle of it, I believe, is about pursuing love, uh, or um, desiring, uh, pursuing love but desiring spiritual gifts is this, is that one should never replace the other. Our pursuit of spiritual gifting should never replace us pursuing his heart and pursuing to know him. And if we ever get out of balance where everything becomes about a gift and where that becomes the focus of our lives, our giftings, we're taking something that's a good thing and we make it a not so good thing anymore. Because we'll abandon love for the sake of a gift. And then when we have the gift, if we have the gift, we won't use it lovingly and we'll be that clanging symbol. And this is the problem that so many people have with spiritual gifts is that somebody was a clanging symbol and so they closed their ears to the noise. And you can, you can block out the clanging symbol when you do that or they left the room because of the noise of the clanging symbol. And while it is true that if you do, if you leave, you won't hear that clanging symbol, I promise you if you leave, you won't hear all the beautiful music that's being played when it's being done the right way. And you'll close your ears to the clanging cymbal, but you'll also close your ears to hearing God speak through other people in the right way. You'll, you'll close your eyes to seeing God move through people in the right way because you've said, I'm, I, I, that was bad and I don't want that anymore. Let's, if that's happened to you, I just want to say this. Please, please, please don't make a judgment about Scripture based on an experience with a person. Just because somebody was a clanging cymbal doesn't mean there's no way to play music beautifully. Just because somebody got a little more excited about their gifting than they did about pursuing the Father and maybe used it to abuse you or intimidate you, control you, scare you, hurt you, please don't close your ears and close your life off to the proper use of it because you'll miss out on so much. And it's true, you'll, you, you may never have to hear another clanging cymbal, but man, you'd miss out on all the beautiful songs. You'd miss out on, on hearing someone play the drums the way they're meant to be played. And one is certainly not worth the other. And then the other part of that is, is give yourself permission. Understand that like, Everybody around you that's going after this stuff together, nobody has it all figured out. Nobody has it perfect. God's perfect, we're not. We're human beings, we miss it sometimes. But if we walk in love, when we miss it, you'll still be in love. There'll be a lot less hurt. I just want to encourage you guys, be praying this week. Be praying about, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you for myself because when I speak to people on your behalf, I want to represent you the best that I can. God, if you send me to pray for somebody, I want to know your heart for that person. I want to have your heart for them. Because the only way that you can not be a clanging symbol is to walk in intimacy with him and actually be in love. Which is why Paul says, I'm going to teach you about gifts. I'm going to tell you 
about love and right after saying to pursue love, he says to desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, meaning what? One doesn't come at the expense of the other. They're supposed to go hand in hand. So Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I'm excited as we, as we dig into what your scripture has to say about these things. And, and God, I just ask that, that we would not close our ears because we remember the sound of the last time somebody was a symbol and miss the song that you're wanting us to hear. God, that we would never be those symbols that would close the ears of people, that would cause people to leave the room because we pursued a gift or pursued a position or pursued a title or used the gifting selfishly for our own ambitions, God, that, that we would be those people that use the gifts that you give us in love, humbly submitted one to another. I just thank you for even during this week, God, as we go, for stirring in us a hunger for more. For stirring in us this, this idea that this, this Christian life is the most exciting life that we could ever live. Just to continue to drop little questions in our spirit that leave us curious and make us search things out in your word, God. That, that challenge us and make us go to the word. But that we would, we would read Your Word and let Your Word speak to us, God. That, that Your Word would drown out the voice and the words of any man, including mine, that don't echo the Scriptures. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.